Welcome back to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Johnson. It's been said that 2020 was the year of decentralized finance and 2021 the year of NFTs. It's likely that 2022 will be the year of the DAO. DAOs represent a fundamentally different way of organizing human and financial capital. And depending on who you ask, they have the potential to disrupt the traditional idea of a corporation. But they can be a little bit hard to wrap one's head around. They follow different rules, different processes, and represent a mental model shift at a minimum. I couldn't think of anyone better to discuss and demystify DAOs than Ben Hu, previously the CEO of Cheeseburger Inc., a Y Combinator alum, and now an extremely active member of the Web3 community. Ben shares a ton of insight on what DAOs are, how they work, and what makes some of them work better than others. It's a dense conversation, so if you need to listen on 1x speed, please do so. But I think doing the work of understanding DAOs is worth it, as you're going to be hearing a lot about them in the coming years. And with that, let's go to Ben. All right, Ben, thank you so much for uh, for doing this. Why don't we start with your background? I mean, I think for folks that are familiar with the space of NFTs and DAOs and things like that, I think your background and kind of that through line to how you got into this world makes a lot of sense. But for, for people who don't know, why don't we start there and talk about how, can you, how you got into this world? Yeah, thanks, Sean. So my name is Ben, last name is Ha. I got into this world of DAOs kind of in a very circuitous, weird path. My claim to fame was that back in 2007, I became friends with people who started this website called ICanHasCheeseburger.com. So it was the, the home of the lolcats, one of the very first internet memes that reached the mainstream. And after a couple months of them running the site, I came in and purchased the site and I ended up building out this network called the Cheeseburger Network. And so it included websites like Failblog and Know Your Meme and you know dozens of other internet meme sites. And so that gave me this weird, like eagle's eye view of how internet culture was being born. And it was developing through these like small communities of really ardent fans of this type of media. And no one really even knew how to pronounce the word meme back then. And so I built this company to, you know, 150 employees, you know, millions of dollars of revenue. We raised venture capital, we sold the company, you know, you did everything you could to actually, you know, nurture this new industry. And now, you know, fast forward, you know, 10 plus years from that, what we're seeing is that people have turned memes into the mainstream. Memes are now the de facto uh, method of communication among an entire generation of people who grew up in internet communities. And we're seeing that those same people are finding new tools and new mechanisms for creating wealth, organizing themselves, not only just from a cultural side, but also creating entirely new economies from this ethos that people can participate. And participation is actually an amazing thing. If 2021 ended up being about anything, I think, at least in the world of tech and things like that, it's broadly about, you call it Web3, and really two things. It's like NFTs and then DAOs. And I know that you're very heavily involved in both. NFTs, I feel like, are getting a tremendous amount of airtime right now. DAOs, maybe a little bit less so. And so I'd love to kind of drill into to that if we can. And maybe to start, just for people that aren't familiar, what, what is a DAO in the first place? Am I, am I even pronouncing it right? <laughs> yeah, you're pronouncing it right, I, I think. Okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the easiest way to describe a DAO is that you kind of have to see it in the context of the rest of um, history. So, so far up to this point in history, organizations required a, a legal framework. And so you had to be an LLC or a C-Corp or even a sole proprietorship where you were the only owner. But there was this idea that the law gave you license to become an organization, right? What a DAO is, is that it, it's not the law. 
it's software that gives you the right to become an organization, right? And that's a, that's a radically different way of thinking about it. Now, there's clearly legal mechanisms about liability that we need to consider, but setting that aside for a second, what we're saying is, if you belong to this tribe, you can use a piece of software that collectively groups you together into a membership. And that membership has resources, like it has a treasury, it has the ability to actually govern each other and the resources that the, uh, that the uh, DAO has. And that will create actions that can be taken by members to create more content or product or services. So in a nutshell, a DAO is a organization whose structure is maintained and created by the software at its core. And when when you explain that to people in their mind, I think one of the first questions that kind of comes up in people's minds is how does software, like treasury management and things like that, I think maybe it's a little bit easier for people to wrap their heads around. But when you think about governing user behavior or the the behavior of the participants in the DAO, how does the software accomplish that? Yeah. So first thing you have to do is define membership. Right. So there's a couple of mechanisms out there or a couple of models out there. One is an open membership that is gated by a single type of token or, you know, multiple, it could be multiple types of tokens, but a token itself. So ERC20, a fungible token. And so people can be more plutocratic. So if you own more, you have more voting rights. There's another type of uh, single gated membership, which is NFT based, which is one, usually one person, one vote. And then there's a, there's a second type of layering on top, which is, you need a token plus you need a membership approval to participate in the conversations and the governance of the organization. So you can be an open organization where anybody can hold your tokens and then that allows you to vote, or you can be token plus membership so that people have, the organization has some control over who's in the group. Do you, do you have an opinion on when one approach makes more sense than others, or is it still kind of too early to determine that? I think what, what's interesting is that the double-gated memberships are ones that are a little bit more cautious about their growth and their scaling. And so they don't care about raw numbers of people. What they mm-hmm. want to do is curate the people a little bit more carefully than, than an open organization, which is we want anyone to participate. Our philosophy is about broad participation. It usually leads to much faster scaling of the organization. And so the hurdle to actually creating great communication and governance is, is much higher. Yeah. But those are also kind of creating the, the, uh, the narrative and a bleeding edge for DAOs. You mentioned communication being kind of key. You know, it seems like a lot of these seem like they get started, correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they seem like they basically get started almost like as a, as a Telegram or a Discord server, and people are just kind of chatting about what something could become. And, you know, they start tweeting it or whatever it is that they're doing, and they start folding more and more people into it. That communication layer and really like the community management layer seems to be like a very critical skill. And it's something that, you know, we've seen the importance of it being underestimated kind of in regular startup land and things like that. And as a a sort of an essential skill set or a force multiplier. But with this, it seems almost critical, like like table stakes. You've got to be great at community management. Like, is that accurate? And then if so, like, what are some of the, I guess, common themes or strategies or approaches that you've seen in successful DAOs? from a community building, community management standpoint? Yeah, I think community management becomes incredibly important as soon as you start getting close to the Dunbar number, right? The 200 people that uh, a group can actually know, get to know one another. Once you mm-hmm. exceed that number, people become strangers. 
right? Mm-hmm. You're still a community and you share an ethos, but if the ethos is not made clear and not implemented or not used often, people tend to diverge and have very different opinions about who they are and what the group should be. Entry points matter. How you get into the DAO matters a lot. So if you think of, let's say, board apes, if you own a board ape, you are a member of a community. You don't know what the other purchases of board apes are like, but you share this asset in common, and now the software can define you as a community. Now, whether you're DAO or not, it's a different question, but would you want to hang out with those people? How would you know, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you know if the community can actually create some kind of consensus around who you are and what you value? And that's actually yeah. left up to the community manager because the community manager has to be a concierge or a shepherd around yeah. what do we share in common. Yeah, I mean, they're almost the brand in a way for the people that are engaging with the DAO. That's, you, you mentioned an interesting kind of nuance there. There it seems like there are a lot of NFT-based projects that have, they almost always have a community management perspective, I think. And then there is, there are DAOs and there's a Venn there where they can be, you know, it's, it could be an NFT thing that also is a DAO, but not necessarily. When do you think it's important for an NFT project as an example to, to go down the DAO route versus just being a community that doesn't have kind of that governance layer on top of it. Yeah, so it, let's say I'm doing an NFT project and I am dropping 10,000 profiles for your typical NFT project. It, yeah. it really matters as to the intent of the developers as to what type of community that they want to be beholden to, right? Like a developer may not want to be a leader of a DAO. So yeah. what they can do is say, hey, we're gonna create this project and people are free to form a DAO that includes all or none of the people in this project, right? Yeah. And so part of the challenge I think people are running into is you can create a DAO for any reason, for any kind of size. So yeah. what's the right size for me? What's the right purpose? Why would we do this? And then all the implementation that comes after it. And so yeah. if, the, if the developers don't want to be the leader of a DAO, then there's no way to force them to do so. And people shouldn't. So for yeah. example, MeBits, which is a Lover Labs project, the same company that did CryptoPunks, there's a mm-hmm. MeBits DAO. And what they care about is building the ecosystem around MeBits and to create more value for MeBits owners. Mm-hmm. If I'm not a member of that DAO and I hold MeBits, I'll probably end up gaining some value out of that, but I have made zero contributions and the DAO's okay with it. And so yeah. these are the dynamics that people have to navigate. For folks that probably are hearing this for the first time and maybe have a little bit of skepticism, I would imagine that one of the one of the sticking points is around how they organize. So like when it comes to not just fulfilling a community objective or a, or almost like a marketing word of mouth objective, but actually like, I want the, the participants in the DAO to do something, yeah. help, build, help build out the product to the degree that there is a product or otherwise kind of build out the ecosystem. How do they self-organize and how yeah. either is it a combination of the smart contracts themselves or the, the participants? Like how does, how does hierarchy road mapping decision-making around actually doing stuff. How does that work? Yeah, so some of the best practices that I'm seeing is that most DAOs will end up with a core group and their uh, principal responsibility is to safeguard the treasury because there are tokens that are being issued by the DAO in order to identify the membership. Those tokens or the control over those that smart contract is held by a wallet. And what you do is you create a committee who must agree to some number of people to have consensus in order to take treasury action. So mm-hmm. let's say we've collected you know, a bunch of NFTs and we want to sell some. What's the process, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say the, the community has agreed and voted in governance to have a majority vote that says, we'd like to sell these 10 NFTs. That doesn't automatically result in the NFTs being sold. 
the, the multi-sig, multi-signature wallet holders will say, okay, three of us must then send these you know, 10 NFTs to this person's wallet so they can list them on a marketplace. And so this kind of like software organized model requires consensus, uh-huh. action of multiple mm-hmm. people, trustless action so that people are acting in their in the best regards of the DAO as the uh, proposal has indicated. And then mm-hmm. accountability, which is, you know, what happened to that money or what happened to those tokens? You know, uh, did they actually end up back in the, the DAO's wallet? Yeah. Have there been issues in the past with, with obviously, you know, you mentioned like multi-sig wallets and things like that, the mechanisms to prevent single point of failure. Yeah. That use case that you mentioned about like, all right, we transfer the NFTs to a wallet for a person to list yeah. is a choke point. Have there been issues with single points of failure? How realistic of an issue is that? I, I mean, so we can, we can talk about the very famous example, the very first step, the DAO, 2016, mm-hmm. You know, people realize on Ethereum, you can do really crazy, amazing creative stuff with smart contracts. They created a smart contract. It raised like, I think, roughly $150 million worth of Ethereum, and it was exploited. So the single point of failure came not from within the community, but from outside of it. It was attacked and, and, and exploited because the smart contract had a flaw. I do not know of a single case today where a DAO has failed because the trusted members of the DAO failed or basically like... Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. That's so far so good. How have you seen? You know, you you mentioned kind of you have this you have this governance token that allows you to vote, and there's different ways of doing it. Yeah. uh, One vote per person, or based on how many tokens you have, or whatever it is. Relative to a normal organization, how you know in the NFT use case, it seems a little like it's a little more straightforward. It's like, hey, we're going to vote on whether to purchase this NFT or not or set of entities or whatever, and then we're going to purchase to, you know, make a decision to disperse them. For other types of organizations that maybe are not NFT-based, like we're going to hire a social media person or a community yeah. manager. We're going to make some capital investment of some kind. How has it impacted or what, what? how does it impact decision-making? Are people very conservative in how they make buying decisions? Like how does that whole decision-making process work? Yeah, so I've seen this uh, happen a few times. So there's a class of DAOs that are um, high total value locked DAOs or asset under management. And so you can think of them mm-hmm. as like the, the DeFi uh, organization. So like, for example, Uniswap, the mm-hmm. largest uh, decentralized exchange yeah. is a DAO and it runs a DAO model. So anybody can actually propose something if you hold Uniswap tokens and say, I would like $20 million to do this education program for children, right? Mm-hmm. And if they get a certain percentage of the numbers to actually vote for this proposal, then the DAO must actually give them this money. So theoretically, anybody can go there and say, I want a million bucks to do X. And if I can get enough people to agree with me, I can actually get that money. So there are, and and this is, I don't see this pejoratively, it could could be, but there are sites that are now popping up that allow you to bribe votes. I don't know if it's a feature or a bug just yet. So if I hold a governance token in Uniswap and you came to me and said, I've got a great proposal and to incentivize you, I'll give you an ETH to actually vote for this proposal. Is that unethical as long as it's disclosed? I mean, I, as a DAO member, theoretically has a vested interest. Yeah. Yeah, it's like lobbying. And, you know, because I've, I've heard folks project into the future and talk about yeah. how politics could, could adopt a model like this somehow. It sure seems like that would be one of the first things that people would do. <laughs> right, right. I mean, bribery as a service is coming. Yeah. Right. And there's a question as to whether the DAO. What what the DAO wants to do about that, and I think I think literally the name makes it sound negative, but like it could 
be that that's just the nature of the organization. You are a vote holding member, and if you want to empty the treasury so that you you have a gain, uh, it's not necessarily illegal. So the DAOs that actually have low value locked tend to actually perform more actions. If they want to hire, they, they're creating their own content. They're much more bootstrapped. But let's say they want to go hire a social media manager. What usually happens is that there's a committee. And so it says, hey, we're going to allocate, the, the treasury committee will allocate a million tokens per year to these four committees. And mm-hmm. they are free to do with these million governance tokens as they wish, or these treasury tokens as they wish. And yeah. um, what the real creative DAOs are doing is they're creating liquidity pools for these tokens so that mm-hmm. anybody can actually swap their DAOs tokens for actual ETH or, or fiat or stablecoin, and they will pay the social media manager in the native tokens of the DAO. In other mm-hmm. words, it acts like an IOU than an actual cash payment. Imagine if you were able to come up with your own like little country and you're like, we have our own currency and it's called, yeah. it's called Sean tokens. Yeah, and yeah. if anybody respects the Sean token and uh, you know, there's some, value, there would not be anybody, but, but, hypothetically, yeah, that's but hypothetically, Sean's yeah. got his little mini kingdom. And now Sean's mm-hmm. like, Hey, I need an assistant. Um, I will pay you 10,000 Sean tokens a month. And the person mm-hmm. will have to make the decision as to like, is that worth it? Not real money, but I can exchange it for real money. And that's an incredibly yeah. powerful treasury tool. Along those lines, you know, I, you know, the, the folks that are that are like, you know, quote, true believers think that this is the future of employment, you know, et cetera, that that the you know folks will will fast forward 10 years, folks will be working for a DAO or multiple DAOs or whatever it is. Are you seeing that already? Like are there folks yeah. who other than the other than the core team or the people who started it, are there folks that are literally their full-time job is that are not already independently wealthy from other from crypto or whatever it is? What types of roles are you seeing that in? So I'm seeing community managers. Uh, I just talked to a, a founder of a community management DAO, and they now have eight people who are full-time members, and they mm-hmm. provide contracting services effectively to other DAOs to manage that community. And they're, they're now creating bots so that they can make their jobs easier. It, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like a snake eating its own tail. It's like community members of a DAO forming a DAO so they can service more DAOs, but that's exactly how the flywheel starts. You also have content creators, right? People are actually creating educational materials, managing websites and things like that. Um, you have developers who are writing smart contracts, custom contracts for DAOs to actually create more um, interesting ways of using their uh, uh, tokens. One of the biggest hurdles is uh, healthcare. So the lack of um, healthcare services, the, the employment, the employer benefits side of this is very yeah. unclear. There's some movement to figure out how do you actually create a collective of DAO members who are mm-hmm. eligible for healthcare without working for an organization. So it's like the freelancer uh, healthcare organizations. You know, you, we talked about kind of transparency and everybody, you know, because it's on chain, everybody can kind of see everything that happens and the transactions are viewable by everybody. The voting is viewed by everybody. For people who are kind of believers and that are all in on this and, and do believe like this is that this is a superior way of operating a business potentially, yeah. not just, you know, like, like any, any type of business. What are the benefits transparency provides? Because you know, like, like as an yeah. entrepreneur, one of the things that you like, I don't remember, I don't know if it's holacracy or whatever it is, but like where where yeah. companies are super transparent about their finances, it's like yeah. I've been I've had days where I'm like a day away from not making payroll. Like I think I would freak everybody <laughs> the hell out if I did that. So like how how do people think, think, those ideas? Yeah, I think I think there's an interesting moral question of like if you are a day away from payroll, maybe you should let them know a month away from payroll, right? <laughs> Right? Right. right, not making payroll. Right. I think those are interesting questions. That as an entrepreneur myself, I've come through those moments, and I, and you know, it's it's always, it's always difficult to actually make that call. That aside, let's say you're, 
one of the easiest way to think about this is instead of thinking about this as a company, thinking about this as a team who temporarily get together for a short period of the time and they want to distribute the work and then distribute the rewards as quickly as possible, as frictionless as, as possible. So yeah. let's say you're doing an NFT project and you met two other people on the internet over Discord and you love these people. Uh, you have no idea who they are or where they live or what they look like. And you want to do a project because one's a great artist, you're a great developer and one's a great uh, marketer. Great. Yep. You, you have your minimally viable profile team. You then have to decide, what do I need to know about these people before I can trust them to do this project? Mm -hmm. Right? So first is, can they do the work? And let's say you assume, yes, they can do the work. How much, how should the revenue be split? In a non-DAO, non-software-driven organization, you have to be like, okay, I have a bank account. I need KYC. Now I need to actually have a revenue split. So like none of us can run off of the money. So I need to like show people bank balances. With a DAO, you can just create a DAO, which is effectively a smart contract. The smart contract receives money from public sources, public wallets. And if those funds are received, then we can then press a button and claim one third each for every member. So now you've actually gotten rid of the need to fully trust these other people, at least on one side of the transaction, right? If somebody's claiming money, I will receive my one-third share. Pretty darn easy. So now you didn't have to set up a bank account. You didn't have to get to know these people. You, don't, you didn't need to KYC them. You're literally just working with a team of people with, with as little infrastructure and overhead as possible. And so now, let's say the project ended a month from now and there's no more money to come. You don't have to shut down anything. The smart contract lives, you walk away, and you don't have to ha uh, have a company that you need to deal with. Report your taxes, that's a whole other thing, but that's on you. Yeah, that's, a, that's a big problem. It's, it's just, how do you account for this? Obviously, this world is, you know, venture is poking its head around this, and it seems interesting to them. Most of the folks I've talked to in that world haven't been willing to kind of jump in. I think, and I think part of it is they're used to certain, well, one, you know, explain this to your LPs, like, them try to understand it. But two, like, you know, they're used to certain controls when they make an investment, right? In terms of what they can and can't do and what they can yeah. block kind of stuff. And it seems like they would be giving up an awful lot of that. If you were theoretically pitching a venture fund of some type on why they should be interested in this space, what, what would the pitch be? Liquidity, scale, scalability and the market size. Uh, let's work backwards. The market size is already enormous. There are incredibly large DAOs with huge amounts of assets under management. And so yeah. you know that the growth is there. Yeah. Scalability, because it is software dri driven, these organizations can go from one member to a thousand members practically overnight. Mm -hmm. It's not like running a company where you need to hire these employees and vet them. These membership organizations are really just machines of growth on their own if you want them to be. And then liquidity, which is instead of having to wait for an exit event where you're IPOing whatever, because you own these tokens, they may be liquid well in advance of even the product shipping, which is kind of a problem in of itself, but that's yeah. also a possibility. So when yeah. you look at the ability to actually deploy capital and the effective uh, turn that you can get on that capital, that capital becomes way more effective if you can get liquidity early, right? Yeah. And the value yeah. comes from their ability to scale and the fact that there's proven models of scalability beyond that. Yeah. And you can part, it's not, it's not binary either, right? Like you can take your principal off the table, reinvest it in another one and let the rest ride. It also seems like it's a, a pretty compelling opportunity for, you know, like there's the debate about accredited investors and whether or not like that should be a thing anymore and all that kind of stuff. It does seem like this is a win. This is providing an opportunity for folks that are interested to effectively be angel investors without 
being you know without being accredited investors necessarily. Do you do you do you see that becoming? I mean, obviously, I guess it's already here, but I mean, do you, yeah, do it's you... already here. Yeah, the the accredited investor versus non has always irked me because those lines are very arbitrary. There's there's nothing that says because I have a certain amount of wealth, therefore I'm an educated investor. Basically, the assumption is if you if you don't have the money to risk in this market, you shouldn't, and therefore the government is requiring that you need to prove that you have a certain amount of assets so that you don't, you know, if you lose some of it, you're not going to be, you know, suffering too badly. Like that's right. that's kind of the theory. However, people without money are free to risk everything they want on any other place. So it's it's for me, it's mostly a constraint that is not helpful to entrepreneurs and startups. It's really friction in the system. At the same time, there are people who are committing fraud straight up yeah. out yeah. there pumping stuff that they shouldn't be with without disclosing what they are pumping and they are harming people. These are far more complicated problems than I can actually address, but I think the communities that are well-run generally have pretty good filtering and ideas around how to actually help their members make better decisions that align with our principles. I remember where I heard this recently, but their argument like as an alternative to kind of basic universal income or a supplement to it, the idea was that everybody basically becomes a capital allocator as their main job, which was kind of interesting. But if someone wanted said, okay, I, I buy into this, I want to get in, I want to get involved in one. As you're trying to evaluate DAOs that you might want to get involved with, like what are some of the things that they should take into consideration or think about? Like what what signals might be a good community versus yeah. a bad one? Thing? I think actually the easiest way to look at the reputation of a DAO is actually how old they are. This is almost like the blockchain philosophy applied to DAOs. The reason Bitcoin is so valuable is because it is the oldest blockchain, right? Yeah. It's been around, it's been attacked, it, no one's won, right? So the yeah. blockchain is secure. Yeah. Ethereum, same thing. DAOs are also a similar animal in that the code and the human operating system of a DAO is going to go through a lot of trials and tribulations in order to survive. And if, not, if they've been around for a long time, chances are they're fairly, they're highly resilient. Yeah. And so newer DAOs have a very high risk of failure because no one's proven that model yet. And yeah. so I think that's that's one factor to take in. Now, given that most DAOs are very young, yeah. how do you then select one? It's easy to hang on to this code of a DAO before actually joining it. It's a great way to get to know the vibe and the and the you know how well they're supporting new members. Yeah. You want to go join a DAO that is welcoming, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's how you will actually interact with people and get to know them and learn. If you were to create one yourself, like you say, hey, I want to I want to start one. Yeah. Are there lessons that you think that folks could take, maybe from some of these old like Compound or Maker or whatever, like some of these older ones that have been successful, that or you know design patterns or good decisions that that increase the likelihood of them being successful? Yeah, I think I think there's some philosophical questions around pure democratic DAOs that do not have core leadership. And then mm -hmm. there are professionalized DAOs where there are service providers that serve as core operators of that DAO. So MakerDAO, you know, uh, is a great example of this where there's professionalized, you know, people who whose job is to implement the wills of the DAO. Even the ones that do not have professional managers, the question is, what is the process for submitting a proposal? So if I want to go and say, I'd like to do X, right? Is there a clear standard on what needs to become a proposal versus what people can take action on? Usually it's using the treasury and using the tokens. In that case, 
is there a vetting process for this? Is the vetting process overly restrictive so that gatekeepers can keep you out? Or is it actually fairly neutral so that anybody can write a proposal and it's really up to the members to vote on it? Right. Mm. And so that, that's a comfort level, right? If you trust the gatekeepers and you want them to secure the assets more so than have creativity, then that's like one side of the spectrum. If you want more freeform creativity and fewer gatekeepers, like that's another side of the spectrum for, for these DAOs. What are some of the potential use cases for DAOs that you haven't seen yet, but you think you either would like to see personally or that you just think are going to, it's likely that they're going to emerge in the next few years? You know, one of the things that we're experimenting with, I'm part of the uh, YC Crypto Alumni DAO, and we are experimenting with how do you actually align venture capital with the interests of the entrepreneur? You know, venture capital, especially when liquidity is soon, can actually ha- have misalignment in the very early stages of a company's growth. And that could be fatal to the organization. You know, example here is, let's say you bring on an investor, they're entitled to 20% of your tokens. There's no lockup or the lockup's kind of kind of waterfally, right? So that they can actually release these tokens at any point. There's an inflection point, you know, early on the company's life where the product hasn't really been proven, but because of the hype associated with crypto, they have a boom in the token prices. Well, now the investor is incentivized to sell those tokens on the market yeah. versus hold on and actually support the company. These are new problems being created by new model, models of technology. And so it's important that there is an alternative to the old model that's aligned long-term. And so we're experimenting with how do you actually create incentives for capital allocators and return maximizers to actually mm-hmm. side with the people leading the organization, not their yeah. own interests. That's interesting. Cause like on the, the entire, you think about that entire value chain there, the found, I mean, it's why you have vesting for founders. I've heard in, in conversations with, you know, some of our LPs that like the lockup is a feature, not a bug for them because otherwise yeah. they'll do something stupid with it. And so they, they do want a portion of their capital. That's just like, I can't get it. I, yeah. you know, and so that's really interesting. Yeah. That's uh that's, that's kind of fascinating. I mean, but if you think about it, what's going to happen is if you think about the financialization of the entire stack of a company, I have a lockup, but now my lockup's on chain. I can go to yeah. maker and say, Hey, can you actually float me on my lockup? Mm-hmm. Can you hedge me on this? Right. So there, there's ways to get around the lockup. Yeah. So, so this is this is a problem that goes beyond the financialization and goes to aligned interests, right? Yeah. And yeah. so that that those are things that are being created today. I see what you're saying. So so it's not just about having logic in the smart contracts or whatever that kind of presume a certain period of time where you can't liquidate. Yeah, you, you still have a human behavior problem because there's there, there's going to be novel ways they're going to spring up kind of around it. It's, it's the feedback loop between technology and culture that really drives society. It's not technology alone, right? Yeah. And this is, some, this is the thing that I learned you know, in my early days with internet memes is that content is a reflection of, of human experiences, but at the same time, it is the experience when you're, when you're on the internet. It is almost the entirety of your experience is content. Right. And so that feedback loop is actually very powerful. It seems as though this is a material part of kind of what you're spending your time doing these days, if not the, the, the sole thing that you're kind of spending your time doing, you know, professionally, what's the, you know, we've talked about like the mechanics of it and why it works and, you know, strategies and all that kind of stuff. But like, what's the emotional pitch to people that are, that are, this sounds interesting. They don't know if they should jump in what, and it could be, you know, philosophical or whatever it is. Like, why is this something that someone should consider at least going all in on their time with their capital, et cetera? I think most people have lived their lives under the thumb of, of someone who has power over them in an organization. 
right? And it's usually involuntary because they need the money or they need the, the career path and things like that. Yeah. DAOs give you the opportunity to vote with your feet or with your time, right? You are not an employee of an organization. Organization. This is a voluntary membership. If you want to walk, you can, right? You may, be, you may be giving up something in order to do so, but it is not the core of your livelihood. So you can actually take more risks and be more creative about how you actually participate or don't participate as part of the organization. I've also found that people who have spent most of their time working for other people or working within a system, you know, entrepreneurship as a system itself, have difficulty taking the red pill, right? This is the whole matrix. You know, if you take the red pill, you'll wake up and you'll never, you know, go back to that world again. And people claim to take the red pill and say, ah, I realize I, there is no one in charge. I am the man. I am now part of this organization and I have equal rights as anyone else, right? Yeah. And then they yeah. go back to, tell me what to do. <laughs> please, please, please tell me what to do. I don't know what to do, right? And yeah. like, that's the conflict that I feel that I see a lot between members of DAOs we're like, yes, I'm in charge and I don't want to be. So it's like the double-edged sword of having age, like the realization that you have agency is not. Yeah. yeah wow. It's the responsibility of realizing that you really haven't, you don't have much experience with agency. And yeah. also, also you don't have much experience with agency in a way that can actually motivate and, and, and encourage other people to create a constructive community. You might have agency and be an asshole. And that happens a lot. Like it looks like the one, you know, 50% chance that your first, you know, experience with agency is going to be hurting other people, right? Because yeah. you just don't know how yeah. to do that. As you project toward the future, if we assume a world where this is, maybe this doesn't eat organ traditional organizations as we know them, but if we at least assume that they're here to stay and that they are potentially a very attractive way to build social capital, political capital, financial capital, et cetera, et cetera, a, a viable use of one's time. What do you think sort of the critical skills are that people should be thinking about? Because it seems like the competencies that one needs to have, the skill yeah. sets that one needs to have are very different than a normal organization. Like what, what would you consider that stack to be? Yeah, so, so I think this is the, the, the skill set that's really difficult is creating consensus around novel ideas. So you are in an organization, you have some influence, but not you're not the man, right? Or the, the woman in charge. And now you might know what to do, but if you can't get other people who don't know what to do to agree with you, you're not going to get that passed. Not only must you sound smart, right? And sound like what you're doing is for everyone's best interest, but you must actually convey that idea to people and convince them it is in their best interest. This creates incredible opportunities for people who are great at pitching but don't know what they're doing. And that's that's a social harm that the community must learn to recognize. And so yeah. like a bullshit detector that is also great at convincing other people in not a, you know, curmudgeonly old man type of way is a great skill set as well. These have the potential to, to decentralize you know, power and organizations and things like that. And depending on who you talk to about it, there's a there's an equity piece to this, a social good piece to this in terms of what it's accomplishing. It seems though, in order to fully realize that vision right now, it obviously is a different mental model. So that's challenging, but it also, it's almost like the use of the UX of DAOs and the UX of this stuff in general is still kind of a pain in the ass, right? So like, oh my God, it's pain I, would, I would assume that that needs to get, for my mom's head to not explode, you know, when she's listening to this or deciding if that was something she wanted to be a part of, like, what else do you, I think there's a UX layer. What, what else do you think needs to happen for mainstream adoption of these types of organizing structures? 
I mean, the UX layer uh, uh, across Web3 is a gigantic problem. It's very difficult to differentiate from that in a brochureware website, right? Yeah. You have to click the wallet to be like, what the heck, right? And, yeah. and it's <laughs> like, and we have documentation. We don't have UX guides, right? So right. It's, you have to read a doc and be like, okay, it's clearly out of date because that was written two weeks ago and things have changed a lot in two weeks. Like there's this... Yeah amazing sense of progress that's happening, but at the same time, it's leaving behind so many people and you just have to like catch up. That is a massive problem. Also, there is no native tool for communities, for DAO communities on the internet. We're using mm -hmm. Discord, Telegram, Signal, what have you. We right. do not have software that actually enables DAOs to work correctly. Yeah. And so like that is an enormous opportunity. Think about all the documentation, all the proposals, all the voting, um, and also just the, the third thing is, how do I actually spend my resources, right? I have tokens, I have DAO tokens. How do I secure them? I have voting rights with these tokens. Like, did I just do something with those tokens where I can't vote with them because those things happen? I mean, I don't want to get too complex into this, but like I'm yeah. a member of a, of a community around loot, the loot project games yep. and yep. some other competing uh, or, or associated project created an ability for me to stake my loot bags into their contract and now I forgot I've staked them. I'm going to be staked for 10 days and I can't vote during those 10 days. I'm like, oh man, I should have known better, right? Yeah. And yeah. now I'm stuck, unable to vote for 10 days. These are yeah. weird dynamics that normally would not have existed outside of that. And you're a power user. I mean, like the stories you hear about so just like simple stuff, like switching chain and, you know, you send yeah. it to the wrong address and you're gone. It's gone. Like, I mean, uh, you I've know. done that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what makes me a power user. Is that I've made all the mistakes. If everyone has that story, yeah, exactly. You can't say that you're a power user until you've done it. Man, well, this has been super, super fascinating. I guess for folks that, I mean, obviously this is this is sort of meant to be a one-on-one, -on -one, but for folks that want to start dipping their toes in this world, where do you where would you send people? So this is a great example of an open DAO that is supporting an art project called Nouns, uh, Shark DAO as in the, uh, the animal, technically fish, I guess. It's a very, very noisy DAO because there's so many members in there. They've grown incredibly fast. It's pretty well run. The documentation is pretty thorough, at least in the Discord. It, it, they might be almost be too big for people to actually jump in. There are many small DAOs now popping up around specific art collections or projects. Um, so yeah. the NFT DAO world is pretty well aligned. Those are very different animals than like the high, the DeFi DAOs that have huge amounts of money behind it. But Keep an eye out for people that you like who have built, who have joined a DAO and ask them mm -hmm. if they can join, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think my advice two weeks ago was go join a Shark DAO or something like it, right? Now it's like, well, those are so big and hard to get into. You should really yeah. look for something that are opening up now just you know, with a smaller number of people. Yeah, it seems like the NFT thing might be a good entry lip place too. I mean, not that it's, not that it's necessarily easy for the layperson to understand. It's, it's still its own rabbit hole, but... The transact the types of transactions one is doing is fairly limited. It seems like that might be an easy way play to kind of to yeah. do it with training those too. Cool. Well, this has been great. Where can I for folks that want to maybe learn more about what you're doing and what you're up to? Where where should I send them? Yeah, just follow me on Twitter at b e n h u h. All right, Ben. Um, this was mind expanding, and hopefully, uh, people's heads aren't going to explode. I think if they take the time to invest in it. It's it's really really you know it's like I tell my wife there are very few times in one's life where a truly transformative thing is right in front of them. And uh, you don't entirely know what it looks like and it's super messy and it's easy to make fun of, but it'd be a shame to not, to not participate in some way. First, they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you and you win.
My guest today was Ben He. For more ideas on how to disrupt your own organization, visit us at www.manifold.group. And if you enjoyed this episode, would love a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you use. Thanks as always for listening. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time.